BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For the 30 Rockefeller Plaza headquarters of Sci-Fi Wire in New York City, it is May 11th, and this is episode 75 of Who Won the Week, a podcast dedicated to the top stories from the week in geek. I'm Aaron Sagers editor-at-large of Sci-Fi Wire, and I am joined by my cohorts. Adam Swiderski, editor-in-chief of Sci-Fi Wire and Hell Man. Wow. I like that you always do this, where it's like, it's a title, and then you'll remove, like, lady or a boy or robot and replace with man. That's my thing. All right. That's a fair thing. Uh, I am Danny Roth, a contributing editor at Sci-Fi Wire, and uh, I don't know. I'm wearing sunglasses. Yeah. That's it. Least exciting intro ever, Danny. I, I expected much more from you. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but that's okay. I won't judge because uh, I, I had no clever intro. Um, but we can make it up by talking about what we're geeking out about this week. Adam, what are you into? Well, I'm going last because I'm gonna I'm gonna use mine as a clever segue. Oh, so Danny should go first. Uh, I am geeking out about a lot of things this week. Uh, last week I talked about my father-in-law being in town. This week we watched some old Universal horror movies for something that I've been working on, and I watched six Mummy movies and seven Dracula movies, and my cup runneth over with uh, Universal monster goodness. Mostly good. Uh, I don't know if you knew, but Lon Chaney Jr. is really bad at being Dracula. He's great at, at being the werewolf. He is bad at Dracula. He had a mustache. He looks really sad most of the time. It's weird. It's really weird. But he's good at being the werewolf, which he is in a couple of those movies. And he's the mummy, and he's a fine mummy. Yeah, he's the only staple uh, uh, Universal Monsters uh stable actor that did all of the big four of the mummy dracula he did frankenstein's monster um and the wolfman the only one to hold that honor so uh and the fact that he was the son of lon cheney senior i'm willing to cut him some slack yeah and yeah i'll give him a break i mean everything else is solid it's just it's literally the one just the one thing he is not he is not dracula so what was even your... John Carradine was a better Dracula. Although I know I love John Carradine. We'll probably find this out in whatever you're working on. But what was your favorite of the movies that you marathoned? Of everything that I watched, gosh, I have to say, um, I mean, it's either going to be the original Mummy or the original Dracula because they're both so so strong. But I'm going to give it to the Mummy just because I feel like it doesn't get as much love. Because when people think of Boris Karloff, they usually think of Frankenstein. Right. That's usually the go-to, but. It's so interesting that movie is really sort of a man apart in that once you get past that one, they reboot it. Like the next movie they do, which is The Mummy's Hand, is a complete start over with a technical different different mummy, different name. And then all the movies thereafter follow that storyline and follow that mummy, even if they change the actors. Follow that mummy. Follow that, that mummy. <laughs> Someone needs to make that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just follow that ghost. That's right. Uh, but yeah, wait, is that, is it Abbott and Costello in Follow That Ghost? Is it them? Oh gosh, I don't know. I think it might be. I think it, I, I could be wrong, but obviously I watched some Abbott and Costello movies also. Um, I hadn't seen the Abbott and Costello meet the mummy maybe ever. I definitely saw Meet Frankenstein because it's like the pinnacle classic. But mummy was all right. It was good. And someday they'll put out the, the Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man on Blu-ray and then I'll watch that too. There you go. Very, yeah, yeah. Anyway, cool story, Grams. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, what are you up to? Not a whole lot of uh, geeking out this week. It's just been running around a lot. But I will say that we've had a lot of interviews with Robin Lord Taylor from TV's Gotham going up this week. And just last night, I saw the news that Gotham 
was renewed for season four, which uh, for anyone listening to this podcast, we kind of knew it um, earlier in the week. We didn't have the official confirmation, but we received a uh, word from some folks that it was happening. But, um, you know, those things can still change very last minute, it seems like. So when the announcement finally went out, I was happy to see that Gotham did get a season four renewal. I enjoy the show. I I enjoy the character work of Robin Lord Taylor and a couple of the other folks on that show. But also, as a New York production and myself as a resident of... Uh, of New York, I'm I'm always happy to see actors working, and I'm happy to see well crews working, everybody in a production working, and happy to see another New York production kind of sticking around. So uh, I would say that that's sort of what I'm geeking out about. I have to say that that show's tenure has been really interesting in terms of how it's kind of metamorphosed over the years and the legs that it has now in terms of longevity. It's, it's been really fascinating to watch. It's peaks and valleys, man. That's the thing about that show is that uh, when it's great, it's amazing. And when it's bad, it really it really kind of uh, digs deep yeah. into the ground. But, but it, it's a it, completely different animal now than when it, it started. It, and it constantly is shifting. I think that's sort of um, – I think of all of the things that I like about it, I like that it's so adaptive – uh, and I really, you never have to feel like the actors aren't giving it their all. You know what I mean? Like if it, if it has a rough patch, it's because the production is trying to figure out where the next place is to go, but the actors are always on it. Uh, and I think Robin Lord Taylor especially is such a standout. Any scene he's in is strong. Anybody acting off of him, I think instantly is elevated by I, just the raw charisma. I think he has, he really is like, he came out of nowhere. I'd never even heard of him before. And now he's easily one of my favorite actors on TV. Well, and the thing about that show as well is, um, yeah, I mean, they. I, I think it's just a nature of a show that has 22 episodes, something that I've talked about a lot before when it, it's just not necessary to have that many episodes uh, on TV now. But, I mean, it, it benefited, even though the numbers haven't always been the strongest, it's still been a good show uh, and a pretty well-received show. It's just sort of when, when you're expecting those big network numbers, it hasn't always been able to deliver, as is the case with many um, shows that that were just recently canceled. But um, yeah, when you know the the big episodes, you know the Jerome, the two part Jerome uh, story arc from earlier this year, it's great. Uh, it was just a great Batman and Joker story, uh, although it wasn't Batman and it wasn't Joker, and um, the stuff that. We're seeing with sort of um, all the Nigma Oswald Coppapot stuff has been good. And um, and I'm kind of excited about the introduction of sort of more supernatural elements into this show. So, I mean, I don't want to take up too much time on Gotham, but I'm just uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy that show. And I'm just happy to see, like I said, a New York show, um, you know, trucking along and heading into season four, which is a really strong sign. For them, but enough about Gotham, Adam. What are you into this week? So I'm. It's not so much what I'm into at the moment, but what I'm going to be into this weekend, which is that the arrival of uh, the Guy Ritchie King Arthur film, which by all accounts is is pretty bad and it's projected to flop hard at the box office, um, has me wanting to go revisit 1981's Excalibur, which to me is the best live action rendition of this. I know it's very 1981, um, but... You say that like it's a bad thing. I know. Well, yeah, it's definitely... I mean, 1981's a good year. It's certainly a time capsule, but man, do I love that movie. Uh, You know, straight up fantasy makes no bones about it, Um, doesn't try to couch it as anything more than this epic fantasy story. Uh, Peak Helen Mirren, my God, Helen Mirren is stunning in this movie. Um, You know... We have appearances from Patrick Stewart and young Gabriel Byrne and lo- young Liam Neeson. Uh, it's just a, it's just a lot of fun. The guy who plays Merlin, uh, Nicol Williamson, is fantastic. And, uh, yeah, it's just a movie that I've loved since childhood. And I'm very much looking forward to it because it bums me out to think that we can't get a modern retelling of King Arthur that's really good. It's been a while. Well, I mean, I, I would say just kind of transitioning into the King Arthur Legend of the Sword, the Guy Ritchie directed movie starring Charlie Hunnam. I know the ratings or the, the reviews have been abysmal. I know there was the Hollywood Reporter article saying that it's going to tank hard and it very well might. I mean, look, it's up against Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume 2 and Fate of the Furious is still out there. 
So it's going to be hard to gain traction. That that kind of, I think, is more about the business of summer movies and summer blockbusters. As far as this movie goes, though, was it a great Arthurian story? No, I would not say that. However, I thought it was incredibly passable, okay entertainment. It was the kind of thing that, you know, I didn't regret the fact that I had spent you know, two hours watching it. It was sort of a, it was very much a Guy Ritchie take on this. And I, I kind of think it might be one of those movies that people just want to pile on. Uh, I think audiences are going to, people that will go see it, I think might actually just have a, a good little ride out of it. It's not great, but it's a good, you know, two hour little flick. I don't know, man. I, to me, it's, I just don't understand why we have to keep reinventing the King Arthur story. You know, why not just tell the King Arthur story really well? Because it's a compelling enough story on its own. I don't I don't get like I know Guy Ritchie has his Guy Ritchiness and everything. And from, you know, I haven't seen the film yet, so I can't really say. But from what I've read on it, 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 it seems like it's kind of two different films stylistically and that the Guy Ritchiness kind of comes out in these fits and spurts. And then it goes back to, oh, by the way, we're in this, you know, kind of boilerplate fantasy film, you know, 2000 teens style uh fantasy film i don't know i i just again that's what i love about excalibur is that it's very straightforward it doesn't try to you know reinvent anything it's just like hey man here's the story of this king and his wizard and it's awesome and his and i king guess that's and his wizard yeah and uh that's that's enough for me so i i don't know i mean i may i'll probably catch king arthur guy Ritchie, the guy Ritchie story that's my subtitle for it uh you know on home video when it comes out um just to see what it's all about, but I don't know. And then that's the other thing too. It's like with so much out there now and so much kind of coming up, it's to spend whatever it costs you to go to the movies these days on something like this. I I don't know. It it wouldn't be my top priority for the weekend. Well, I mean with the, as far as why you can't just tell a, a straightforward King Arthur movie. I mean, the one thing I'll say about this is that you're talking about a legend, a legend that it goes back to fifth century AD it's constantly been remade and, and shaped and changed over the centuries. So uh, every generation, it seems like, adds their own spin to, to the Arthurian legend. So uh, as far as that goes, I mean, that's just sort of the nature of this of this story, of this legend, is to to change it and, and you know, adapt it for the times or, you know, kind of alter some of it. But uh, as and again, like, I, I'm not standing here saying that it's the best King Arthur movie I've ever seen. Um, but, you know, I, it's sort of like I just, for this kind of movie, when I kind of know what it's trying to be, it's just trying to be sort of a action magic type of uh, romp. Yeah, I mean, like, when you know what, what you're getting into, it wasn't it wasn't bad. And um, and I, I see your point that it's not it's not expensive to go to the to the theater. But I don't think that this is a a waste of um, a waste of cash. I mean, if you know that you like Guy Ritchie and you know you like Charlie Hunnam and you know you kind of like the sword and uh, sorcery type of stuff, then you'll probably dig this. All right. Well, I mean, we'll see. how. I, I guess everyone who goes to see it this weekend should let us know whether uh, they feel more in line with what Aaron is saying or, or my pessimism. They're all going to agree with me because I said nothing. That's right. Nailed it. Danny wins. Part of it also is just like, it bugs me when I, and I know it's not that the Hollywood Reporter, or was it Variety, it's not that the article is is bad on its face, but it does kind of, it bums me out when I see these these articles that are, just create this narrative of, okay, this thing is going to tank. And, and then people will start getting in their head that it's a flop or it's going to tank. And even if it ends up making money, it just starts having that, that stink of a failure. So it just kind of bums me out that it's, it's not, people haven't seen it yet. And yet we are, we're like part of that, that process of like, oh, well, this thing's going to be crap. So, you know, maybe, and it's going to tank hard. Uh, well, I think, th- I think that article was more along the lines of, you know, straight numbers. It's not saying that article had nothing to do with whether the movie was good or not. It was saying what it was tracking financially as a flop, you know, that that's how they define it. I think so. It's just like, like, it does create, it does, it is part of the narrative though of like, okay, this, you know, and then everybody sort of piles onto it. So I'm not saying that that article itself is, is irrelevant or bad. It's just, 
we do sometimes do this thing where it's like a pre kind of crapping on a movie before it comes out or, and you know, I'm, I'm sure I've been part of it before as well. It's just sort of a, an unfortunate perhaps side effect of uh, the fact that we always need something to talk about. And, and uh, so this is, this is the narrative surrounding the King Arthur movie, but, uh, but yeah, time will, time will tell. And, and the box office numbers will tell what exactly it's uh, how it'll do. But as far as and movies, someday in Britain's darkest hour, King Arthur will return and then it'll all be moved. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, aside from a movie that's coming out uh, Friday, there's uh, there's a couple trailers on the docket that we're going to talk about for movies that are coming out a month from now, a couple months from now, a little further down the line. Uh, Danny, why don't you you want to set it up and uh, knock these things down? Sure. So uh, we had a couple um new trailers final trailers uh we official first trailers uh so we got some blade runner 2049 we got a little uh wonder woman wonder woman that was her final trailer and then we got some uh another look at it which was i think less of a here's a shot of this here's a shot of this here's a shot of this and more of a one continuous narrative of just these kids starting to investigate uh, so I, I only know if it's—I don't even know if I would consider that a trailer. I know they called it that, but it yeah. didn't. It felt like something very different. It just felt like here's a scene. So instead of feeling like we're showing you everything, it's just here's the vibe in the room for it. Um, so those three came out, and I would say that uh, they all were received very well. Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't think there were any of them that I was uh, bored by or disappointed in. Uh, it's sort of hard to pick which one was my favorite. I think that I really liked Wonder Woman, despite I wasn't sure about the music at the beginning. Yeah, the, the music the, was a little the rough. The poppy music I yeah. wasn't sure about, but everything else was monster, man. It really the imagery is is impressive. It really made me yeah. it made me so nervous because I want Wonder Woman to be the best DC movie to come out in decades. I want it to be the like the best superhero movie I've seen maybe in my life. I want it to be like an instant top ten favorite superhero movie. Uh, and this trailer certainly made me feel as though it could be. So that I really liked, and it felt there was some color in it, even though it still gets a little muddy in spots. There's enough of that pop that I like, and uh, yeah, that really jumped at me as as maybe. My favorite one. What did you guys think of those trailers? Adam, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, well, I, I like the Wonder Woman trailer a lot. I thought it looked it looks great. I mean, man, some of the shots are really, really cool. It's time for that movie to come out now, like so that we can all finally find out. The you suspense know, can end, and we can find out uh, how they did. But uh, I, I, of the three, I, you know, and I like the Blade Runner trailer a lot. Although I think that one's a little more, you know, early days, mysterious, not giving away a lot more tonal than anything else. Uh, but I have a lot of faith in Denis Villeneuve, so uh, I really liked what I saw there. But for me, the standout was it. I, I'm such a fan of that book, and. You know, while I liked the first trailer and it was, it was had this creepy vibe, I really liked the way they established the Losers Club in this trailer, uh, the kids who are involved in the battle against it, and uh, you know some of their character and some of their relationships because it's so central to that story. And and they're, they're kids; they're not like teens, you know. They're they're definitely just on that cusp of adolescence, which is where they're supposed to be. Um, and uh, the only thing, the only real hang up I have with it, and it's hard to tell based on what scene it is, is the look of Pennywise. And this is something that's kind of been an issue for me since they put out the concept art or uh, the first photo, I guess, uh, which is that part of the thing about Pennywise is that, and that Tim Curry captured really well in the miniseries is that he can be appealing, you know, he can be funny looking and, and. Uh, the type of character that would draw a kid in and then turn on a dime from that into this image of horror and scariness. And it looks like they're really laying into the evil clown look uh, in this movie right off the bat. And I don't know how I feel about that. It's not going to change my excitement for the film. But uh, and who knows, you know, the shot that we saw is him menacing somebody so that that's what he's going to look like. But I'm really curious to see if they also honor that other aspect of the of the. I guess the representation of the creature that we see as Pennywise. 
uh, in the final film. But I, I was a real fan of the trailer. I thought it was really cool, and I'm glad that I, I'm looking forward to the people complaining that it's too the the vibe among the kids is too much like Stranger Things. <laughs> which I feel like whole, is, that's the point. I know, which that's I feel where like Stranger is, Things gets the whole like it's so Stephen exactly, King esque that entire exactly. series. Yeah. I don't know. This so for me the tr- the truth of horror. Uh, and the true the true hallmark of a good horror story, whether it's TV or book or film or whatever, is that it establishes characters that you can like and relate to in a world that is familiar, but just a little sideways before you really start to pull things away piece by piece and reveal the madness that's to come. Uh, that, to me, is how you tell a good horror story and when i watched that minute and a half or whatever of just the kids walking around and having a conversation before you see the balloon pop that's what i want that's what you need uh without that it's just jump scare to jump scare and that's not a good story my favorite out of these three simply because it was i i didn't really expect to enjoy it as much not that i'm down on this movie it's just that uh, i haven't really got a real firm grasp on what I'm, what I'm kind of expecting from this film, or what I'm, uh, I, and I guess maybe just some of the things I've seen so far haven't really excited me. But I was pleasantly surprised by this clip, and yeah, exactly to your guys's point, like the reason it, it, it's so smart of them to have played into the Stranger Things, uh, uh, kind of popularity, but, but Stranger Things played into the it popularity, so you know, of course, it, it, it works. Um, so yeah, I I was really pleased by the conversation and then the creepy vibe that sort of that sort of uh, set in. I would say that as far as Blade Runner, um, yeah, it was it was good. It was fine. I still don't know what to think about the movie. I still don't know that I'm excited about the movie. I still don't know if Harrison Ford is actually going to have a active part in uh in the movie or if he's going to be sort of a uh you know glorified cameo um still don't quite understand how uh i mean i guess if he's he's not a replicant if he's aging uh, is another thing i was kind of wondering about but um wonder woman still uh even though it was the thing that surprised me the most the wonder woman trailer did blow me away uh i was really excited about it wasn't really a fan of the music but it is trailer music uh and it and it kind of was a a nice response to, I know there's been some questions out there about where is the Wonder Woman marketing and, um, and my thought process all along has been, uh, of course they're not going to roll out their big marketing when they're still competing. Like they wouldn't go out there and compete with guardians of the galaxy marketing and start spending a lot of money against that. They needed to kind of unload all of that stuff after the first weekend of guardians of the galaxy volume two. And that's exactly what they did. And they did it successfully with a really big trailer really big uh, kind of epic feel to that trailer to make us excited for June 2nd. And this is also the time when most of the movie-going audience isn't really tracking a movie a year and a half, two years down the road and consuming every little clip or image from it. This is the time where people start paying attention to that summer movie, that thing that's going to be coming out in a couple weeks. So that it was so well played as far as wetting the whistle and stoking the fires at the exact right moment for the mainstream audience and for that MTV uh, music or uh, video uh, and TV award audience. So uh, I think that was probably the most successful, even though it was the most uh, pleasantly surprising for me. And I, I mean, I'm definitely intrigued by the Blade Runner trailer. I feel like that one's the one we've talked about the least. And, it, you know, there was some great imagery in there that recalls the original film. I think, uh, Although <laughs> it's really hard for me. I, I think they need to stop casting Harrison Ford in roles in which he has to run. Because as someone who grew up watching Indiana Jones, man, it's rough watching old Harrison Ford try to run. And that's no fault. That's no slouch to him. The man has been through a lot, uh, you know, even in recent years with his legs. But uh, but yeah, that was kind of weird. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's it. it looks really cool and and it seems like they have some interesting extensions of the concepts in the original movies so it looks big yeah that's what i think and uh and that was what i really liked about blade runner especially because i always think of it in terms of a companion piece 
to Alien because to me those are like the quintessential greatest Ridley Scott movies and everything about Alien is designed to be tight and claustrophobic and scary and Blade Runner is really supposed to suggest this big larger world where there are outer colonies and you're supposed to be able to feel the scope of it and by the time you finally get to the edit that I think everybody is happy with of that film uh, you definitely get that and this to its credit, I think even makes that world feel larger and more cohesive and suggests even more than the original Blade Runner did. And I think that that says a lot to its credit. When I watched the trailer, I said, ah, this is like if Ghost in the Shell was going to be good, uh, it would have looked kind of like this, maybe. <laughs> um, which is funny because I'm not like Ryan Gosling, and he's fine. Jared Leto, I'm like, kind of over him but i don't care i don't even care about that doesn't even bother me movie looks good the director knows what he's doing uh and so yeah i mean it just looked like a perfectly fine first trailer yeah and the largeness the what it suggests of that world as a whole uh got me i think pretty excited i think it'll be interesting to see how a mainstream audience reacts to this movie and whether they're able to sell it to an audience that might not necessarily be the fans of Blade Runner that you know a lot of us are, I'm curious to see how that happens and, and what they how they go about selling the film. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's true of both, right? Because I, not only is it is it a big sell or big risk for new viewers, but also I mean, I don't know. Blade Runner is often considered to be one of the greatest pieces of science fiction ever created, so it's a lot to live up to. I will be excited or not. After I see Alien Covenant uh, in a, in just a few days, so my my excitement for Blade Runner twenty forty nine is going to be directly correlated to uh, my reaction to Alien Covenant, and I think that's that's sort of a a good segue because Ridley Scott recently said uh, during the press press rundown for Alien Covenant, he says that he was wrong about Prometheus is twenty. 2012 uh, prequel, I guess, to the Alien franchise. He told Yahoo Movies UK that although he 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 should have he should have included the the xenomorph, he should have included the original monster, uh, but but thought that that was sort of done that the he was done with that creature, uh, and so he said he's wrong, which is why we're going to be seeing the aliens back for Alien Covenant. Uh, Adam, why don't you respond to that? What's your thought? on Ridley Scott saying, I was wrong. I got Prometheus wrong. It's going to be interesting. I, I, I don't know how much I should say because I, of the three of us, I've actually seen the film at this point. And um, I have thoughts, but I know we're going to be talking about that as kind of our big subject next week. So I'm, I want to hold back on that. I, I will say I when I saw Alien Covenant, it did not feel that much like a corrective to what people the problems that people have with Prometheus. And, and in fact, it feels sometimes that some of them are kind of doubled down on a little bit. Um, and the, 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 so I, I get what he's saying. And I certainly agree that people probably wanted more of a connect, more connective tissue when it comes to the xenomorph that we know and love uh, in Prometheus. But if that's the only criticism that he took to heart with prometheus i don't know how well that bodes for alien covenant i like you know and i i actually tend to go to bat for ridley I, I like i think he's you know he's old school he knows how to shoot a film he you know the martian was gorgeous and i, I really dug it but i don't know I, I i just i feel like a lot of people had a lot of problems with prometheus that extended far beyond there's an there's enough xenomorph in it or not and and I'm hopeful that I should, you know, I don't want to say, I can't say in my reaction to alien covenant is what it is, but I, it'll be interesting to see how other people who had problems with Prometheus react to it. Yeah. Uh, well, I've enjoyed a lot of Ridley Scott movies and I've also disliked more than a few. So, um, but I, I definitely give the guy credit. I definitely have, um, you know, he's someone that I will show up for. Um, but yeah, I can see your point. Like, the, there was there were some other issues going on with Prometheus other than just the xenomorphs or lack thereof. So, Danny, what's your response to uh, Ridley saying he's he got it wrong? Uh, he got it wrong again. Wrong lesson. 
<laughs> Wrong lesson. I got to tell you, definitely. It's like Ridley is a guy trying to run away from a spaceship that's rolling <laughs> behind him. Oh no, that's and, I listen. Anyway, sorry. Look, that's be that as it may. I, when I first watched Prometheus, I definitely remember being annoyed that we got a pseudo alien at the very end, and that was it. I definitely remember feeling that way for about five seconds. And then that thing occurs uh, when you see a movie that is very dense and is trying to accomplish a lot, where you get up out of your seat and then you start to walk to the exit of the theater and every step you take, you go, but why did, I don't, but then why did they, but, so if the, if the engineers did, but, ah! I pulled away from the mic just in case I didn't want it to. Anyway, the point is that that movie, the more you think about it, for for me, the worse it gets. Got a lot of really interesting ideas. I rewatched it recently, and I thought, man, a lot of cool philosophical questions, like interesting kind of situation coming in with a, a religious character who still is interested in discovering something that is not a god. Uh, and sort of trying to figure out who Whalen Yutani is and the origin of their story. And there's so much there that I thought, oh, good ideas, really interesting stuff. And then uh, there are no answers for anything at all. You just get, you get zero answers, man. Is, is, uh, is what's your face? Is, is, um, is what's your butt a robot? You know what I'm talking about. Charlize Theron. There it is. Oh, right. Is she a robot? They don't answer it. Um, why did, were the engineers trying to, to create man or destroy man? Or we don't know. And it's one thing to say, well, we're going to make more of these. But it's another to just answer nothing and to have everybody act like a damned idiot. Everybody is so stupid in that movie. And they get they get less and less intelligent as the time goes on. So to say, I learned my lesson, more aliens next time. You know, there were a lot of aliens in Alien Resurrection, too. That that wasn't a good movie movie either. Just set up a mystery and then unravel it in a way where not all of your characters look like morons. And uh, your audience gets some satisfaction. That's, that is the, not to be so harsh about it, but that's the lesson. That's, that should have been the takeaway. Not more xenomorphs. I could, I could not possibly care any less about whether or not we get full on. We could have had more of what we saw at the end of that movie. And if the story was well told, I would have been like, cool, cool, cool. I can go back and watch the original Alien, um, which is still maybe my favorite movie ever made, um, and watch a xenomorph in that flick and be perfectly satisfied. And now I'm done. Yeah, I didn't walk out of, yeah, I did not walk out of Prometheus but, and and scratched my head simply because there wasn't enough xenomorphs or xenomorphs period. We got the start of the pseudos, you know, uh, but no, it was just, that just didn't really make sense. And there was some stuff that really looked gorgeous, but it didn't really, uh, had no payoff. And yeah, I enjoyed Michael Fassbender, but why do you have a stupid biologist that's poking a pod? Uh, and why is everybody such a moron in this movie? And, 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 but that list of ands was not and I needed more xenomorphs. Uh, so, so yeah, the, uh, and I guess because I, I haven't seen Covenant yet, it's, it's hard to really say whether he learned that lesson. And, and look, I guess it's worth that perspective of this is a, a soundbite in a larger interview. And who knows what the larger context of this, this quote was. So there's a lot to kind of digest there and perhaps unpack. So maybe there's there's more lessons uh, that he learned from Prometheus, and we will see that when we watch Alien Covenant. But if that was the main lesson, the only lesson, then it was the wrong lesson. And I, I will say, without giving any spoilers away, that if, if your problem with Prometheus was that it didn't have strong enough connective tissue to the alien creature that we know and love, uh, Alien Covenant is better in that regard significantly. So, I mean, you know, again, without talk, I mean, obviously we've seen the thing in the trailers, so I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that, but uh, it's definitely more connected to the alien franchise than Prometheus was by a far stretch. That said, I, I'm kind of anxious to get to this 
this big final topic about Hellboy. Um, it was Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy, kind of announced on his, not kind of, did announce on his Facebook page that we a Hellboy reboot is in the works, and it's going to star Stranger Things star David Harbour, who played the sheriff in Stranger Things. And also, it's going to be produced by Mike Richardson of Dark Horse Entertainment and possibly, likely directed by Neil Marshall, who did the movie The Descent and has directed the um, some, some standout episodes of Game of Thrones. What is not who is not involved is as notable as who is involved because Guillermo del Toro, he's out. Ron Perlman, uh, who has who I think really embodied that character, is out. And really, the relationship between Mignola and del Toro just appears to have ended. And I have thoughts on this, but I want to get your reactions. Uh, Danny, go first. Like, what was your thought when you when you heard all this was happening? And it's going to be R rated. I guess that's worth noting as well. But Danny, respond to that. I mean, I was shocked. Is the first thing because, uh, I mean, I guess I don't have an. I never really dug deep to say what's the behind the scenes. What's really? I mean, I knew Guillermo loved the franchise, and to me, I watched. Uh, I watched Ron Perlman and thought that man is Hellboy. So, you know, when they said no third movie, I thought, well, that's that. Maybe someday we'll we'll see another Hellboy movie. I wasn't thinking that, you know, five minutes later, hey, guys, this is going to be a new Hellboy movie. So I was just floored by it. Um, and I felt bad for uh, Guillermo and I felt bad for Ron Perlman. I felt like, what happened? Does Mike Mignola hate those guys? And I just didn't know. Like, what is going on? I was just like... I was taken aback a little bit, to be honest. I'm not against new blood coming in by any stretch. That's fine. But I was, I thought, what is the story? Someday, as I'm like, I want to see this new Hellboy movie. Here's what I really, I want to know. What happened? Why is this the thing that's happening? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what happened, which is that Guillermo del Toro wanted to make a $120 million film. And you think it's a, it's as simple as that? Yeah, I do. I, I think that, and that's what he was saying. He was like, I cannot make my Hellboy three for less than one hundred and twenty million dollars, and that's a lot of money in this day and age where you have your Deadpool and you have your Logan and you have these other movies that are kind of and Get Out, you know, is another example of, of of movies that are lower budget but returning much bigger than that. I think that's what that's the golden egg for studios, and so. For Guillermo, and and if Hellboy and Hellboy to the Golden Army had the huge box office that would you know lead to that kind of anticipation on the studio's part, I could see them being like, yeah, sure, here's 120 million dollars. But I I can totally see them saying we can't pay 120 million dollars for this movie. We'll pay 80 million dollars for this movie or whatever. Yeah, I don't. They haven't announced obviously the budget for the new one. Well, if they hired a man that does a lot of TV budget stuff, you can yeah, guess that it's, it's probably going to be going to be lower for it's sure. It's going to be Deadpool budget, probably. So, I mean, to me, that that was you got to respect Guillermo del Toro for having the the uh, integrity to say, you know, I can't make the movie I want to make for less than this amount of money, and not uh, backing down on that. And it's just unfortunate that it led to this. Um, but I want to say, I mean, I actually am kind of excited. And I say this with all love and respect for Guillermo del Toro as a filmmaker. Uh, I think he's brilliant. I think Ron Perlman, as we've said, like embodied that character. I was not a fan of either Guillermo del Toro Hellboy film as a whole. And I say this as someone who loved Hellboy comics um, very much. I, I Hellboy 1, I was the, the character of Rasputin totally ruined it for me because he was so neutered from the Rasputin of the comic books. Um, and Hellboy 2, I thought, was good, was better, and had some moments of transcendence, you know, with that big tree creature and everything, but not, again, a great film. And so so I, I'm happy, I'm excited to see them take another shot, especially given everything that's being said about it. Uh, you know, I read an interview with screenwriter Andrew Cosby, who's writing for the film, and he said it's going to adhere closer to the source material, lean more into the horror and dark aspects of it which I think is great. Uh, you know, the subtitle for the film is Queen of Blood, which 
calls to mind that it might be an adaptation of the wild hunt, which is a great Hellboy comic storyline. So, uh, you know, again, I'm sorry that this happened for Guillermo del Toro and Ron Perlman. I know they put their heart and soul into these films and, and cared a great deal about it, but I'm, I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. You know, it's funny because for years now, I, I, I actually really enjoyed the golden army. I thought the first Hellboy had some problems. Second Hellboy had some problems too, but I really enjoyed the Golden Army specifically because it it went off in its own direction and just became this this super fantasy uh, movie. But it wasn't really a gothic story in the way that the actual Hellboy comics are, uh, Magnolia's vision in in the comic books. But it's interesting because I've interviewed Ron Perlman, Guillermo del Toro, and Mike Mignola separately, probably half a dozen times at least in the last few years and and longer if you go further back. And when this news came out, it surprised me because, yes, Guillermo had just recently tweeted, um, you know, if they got a certain amount of retweets, they would actively pursue this, this idea, get all the principles together to see if it would happen. And then he said, nope, not happening. And then, yes, we have this now. But it's funny, going back on these interviews – there is this subtext of like, okay, it's probably just not going to happen. That I just I get the sense that Mike Mignola just didn't want to make a third movie with Guillermo del Toro. I, I think that uh, that doesn't mean that they disliked one another. But I was kind of getting a sense for a while that that maybe Mike Mignola was the one that just didn't want to go forward with this particular vision. Um, so while I agree that budget probably is involved, I, I think it's also like a a two different visions for where this uh, this character can and should be headed. And it's worth noting that, you know, Mike Mignola, great, great writer, has had uh, great success with this character, has always had a very strong vision about what he wants to do and not do with this character in the comics, going so far as to kill him off. And that was it. You know, it was it was done. We could hear see stories from other time periods. But, you know, then then he's but he's dead. He's dead at that moment going forward. So I I think it's I think it's a two different visions. I think that that was the thing that kind of sealed the deal on the the Del Toro movies. But that doesn't mean I'm not excited about a David Harbour, uh, you know, and and uh, Dark Horse produced movie. It's just I'm a little bit sad to see these del toro and perlman go pretty sad those guys really poured their heart and soul into it yeah it's tough and it's so tough because it's like i know they poured their heart and soul into hellboy one and i still didn't like you know it's it's hard to say it's hard to say it's like use these artists that i respect and they really tried hard and they came out with a product where i was kind of like you know and that that's such a bummer i i feel bad even expressing that opinion uh Given given the respect I have for those guys, if it makes you feel better, I I really liked the first Hellboy movie. Did you? Yeah, I guess I'm the one. There were things I liked about it. That's not. I don't want to like give like it was I had a terrible time, but it was just overall. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I just enjoyed it. I was not. I mean, maybe I just didn't have the same huge expectation that some people did. Uh, and I just I watched it and I thought that was pretty good. I liked it. Ron Perlman, he's great characters strong i like them the heroes the bad guy you know but i felt like all of these characters that i'm supposed to care about i connected with and so that was enough for me Hmm. and then the sequel i struggled with a little bit because it is so big and it is guillermo doing that thing that he does where he just throws everything at you and some of it works and some of it doesn't and i think i liked it more on subsequent viewings the first time i watched it i was like stop trying so hard and I wonder if that is how Mike Mignola feels about it, which is, you know, stop trying so hard. Just let it be what it is in the page, man. Yeah. I th- I mean, it's possible. It could be that. Now, whether or not that translates to long-term bad blood or not, I, 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 I couldn't speak to it. But I definitely, that was my, like, it happened. And I said, oh, okay. So Guillermo got all them retweets and said, look at all these retweets. And Mike was like, listen, man. 
we're already doing something else. I uh, awkward, awkward time. Yeah, how awkward was that conversation? Like, hey, I, I, I didn't really know how to say this to you, but um, we're making another Hellboy movie without you. So, and we already had Jeffrey Tambor throwing shade at Mignola on Twitter over this. I don't know if you guys saw that. I did not see that. Yeah, he was like, nice loyalty, Mike, or something like that. Jeez. Yeah. Boy. Whew. Yikes. See, this is this is this is what happens. It's egos, man. I don't know. I, I I mean I have no idea what I've not interviewed any of these people. Yeah. But having interviewed people that are creatives in a field wherein a lot of money gets thrown around, egos come into play. And high stress comes into play because whether or not you make a lower budget uh, Deadpool movie or you make a hundred and twenty million dollar Hellboy movie, it's still multiple millions of dollars. So it's a lot of stress and a lot of ego, and you never know what's going to happen. So, I mean, my guess would be that there's probably some hurt feelings, but people will probably get over it, and move on. I think it's also, I mean, it's worth noting that you know when it comes to dollars and cents, the the Hellboy movies made money, but they weren't huge successes because i mean they and and honestly a couple of the guillermo you know the big movies crimson peak didn't didn't deliver in the way that you know a big budget movie should and um but the first hellboy movie made money domestically and then made more money internationally but it was sort of at a time when the international take wasn't really as as part of the the budget and uh, the second movie was kind of cut short by The Dark Knight, um, you know, Christopher Nolan's movie. So, uh, and and it also preceded these the the modern superhero movie age of Iron Man in in two thousand eight. It was just like came right before then, you know. So, um, so those are, I mean, those are certainly elements that are probably worth uh, thinking about. But I wish them the best. I can also tell you, I'm going to be. Uh, at a Comic-Con very soon with Ron Perlman, and I'm very curious to take his temperature on this. Um, yeah, duck after you ask that question. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, well, you know, I like to stay within, yeah. Get like a Captain America there. shield and just have it up. I mean, that guy, I mean, I have to say, Ron Perlman's always been a pretty straight shooter, so he'll say his mind, and, um, you know, I'm sure he'll, he's, quite disappointed i just as far as like a nod to that man in that role that guy again you know we've repeated poured heart and soul into it but there was a couple times that he would don the makeup of of hellboy just to do charity things or do small little bits and and it was satisfying for him and it was just kind of a joy to watch he was a guy that certainly uh imbued that character with that that spirit and i i wish the best to david harbour i hope i hope he kind of looks at it as more than just like a a regular role but as something that you can really uh really kind of take on um so yeah i'm actually kind of optimistic about david harbour as hellboy i i i liked when they said his name as the as the 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 name i was like oh yeah i i I dig that yeah if you got if you've got to replace ron perlman right there, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of better options on the table. Well, we will see uh, soon enough. I mean, this thing is still. And in I the think work. actually one of the things I want to say I, this is this just points to a really interesting, what could be a very interesting trend in in the way these movies are made now. And you know, we're looking at basically this this. I'm trying to think of the word for it, but division of of comic book and sci fi movies into these giant blockbusters or these lower budget R-rated, you know, we hope it'll carry on the back of its fandom movies like Deadpool, Logan, etc. And and I wonder if this is going to be a thing now where a lot of these smaller scale comics that have a very active fandom uh, get g- the green light on this level, you know, on a more sub $100 million level uh to kind of just throw them out there and see what sticks. It'll also be really interesting to see if the Hellboy fandom goes along with this or stays away because of the shunning of Guillermo del Toro and Ron Perlman. I doubt it. I, I, I think that the, I, I think the comic fans and the, the, I, I think that it'll continue going strong and, and Hellboy, even though it's, 
a one of the big hero uh big characters it's not as mainstream as your spider-man batman superman and now iron man so i i think it'll continue to exist in the in the way it has um previously so uh but you know time will tell with all this and and time will tell whether or not you know it's it's still a long way before this movie actually happens lest we forget the crow the crow uh you know is is a movie another reboot that supposedly has been happening for years now uh and that's had directors and stars and everything attached to so these things um until it's actually shooting and until it's wrapped and until it's in front of us we never know what'll happen with it I had actually forgotten The Crow until you <laughs> you mentioned that. I was like, oh, that's right. That movie is still somewhere in development hell. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of actors and directors have come and gone on that one. Um, so, but best of luck to Hellboy. And on that note, yeah, we want to hear what you have to say about everything we've talked about today, whether it's uh, the trailers we talked about, It, Wonder Woman, Blade Runner, Ridley Scott's, Thoughts on Prometheus, on the new Hellboy on the way, and the new King Arthur that is dropping tomorrow. You let us know. Uh, You know how to reach out to us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and also head to Sci-Fi Wire and check out our original video content, all of our excellent stories happening over there. And subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share it with your friends, and download our daily Alexa skill am i am i missing anything gentlemen did i cover all of the ways that people should say hi to us they could just invite us over to their house for beers do that oh i, yeah. I like beers we'll bring yeah. we'll bring some blue rays some blues ray some blues ray is that the plural of blue? sure all right yeah i didn't learn something new every day it'd be a big party brew brew ray wow uh, combining you copyright beer, that like now beer and blue ray it'll be that kind of party so, and we'll also bring our terrible wordplay and puns. Um, <laughs> so, How can uh, you say no to that? Yeah. You know what it'll be? Hey, you know what it'll be? It'll be lit. No. <laughs> yes, it, no. it will be so lit. No. It'll be lit, fam. Um, no. Yeah, we're so sorry for that. That's why we should have stopped this podcast <laughs> about two minutes I'll ago. I'll bring my smells. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, gentlemen, uh, where can people find you guys to say hi? Uh, this is Adam Swiderski, and people can find me at Rock the Faces on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. And I am Danny Roth, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Danny Ordinary. That is Danny with one N, Ordinary also with one N. And I'm Aaron Sagers. You can find me Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat on occasion, at Aaron Sagers. And wherever you may find us, we hope we find you next week back here for another episode of Who Won the Week. Thank you for listening.